I am unashamed. What about you? So welcome back to Unashamed. Mm-hmm. I'm still I'm still at the Southern Laird. Zach, uh, is there anything been interesting to happen in your in your world out in North Carolina? You're you're out there on the East Coast, far yeah. away from us. What's been nothing happening but uh, I've just got a house full of kids. All my kids, my daughter came back in from college, and then her and Max, my son, they did a, a I don't know if it's an internship or a. Uh, they, I think they called it a, uh, called it a fellowship in Dallas with Shane and Shane, and they did an album with those guys. And then, but they're, really? so they're all back from that. They, they 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 were they were there for six weeks, and um, yeah, it was, they've written some <laughs> incredible songs. So, but they're all back now. So my house is chaos. The water bill has shot up. The electricity bill through the roof. <laughs> the grocery bill through the roof. I mean, the toilet paper's gone. It's like the locusts have descended on my house, and it is. Uh, I've, I've, I've narrowed it down to the two culprits now. Apparently, it's Max and Layla, and then all of their <laughs> horde of friends. Well, that's the thing, Zach. So when you have when you have dynamic young people, and it's a good problem to have because they're dynamic for the kingdom, which is a good thing. But when you have that, Jason's described this a lot with Mia. You are going to have a brood. Of teenagers and varied, oh, yeah. varied other groups that are going to be with them because, uh, you know, they kind of clean together. So, oh, Jay spills to my the pain. Book. Jay oh, yeah. spills my pain. Well, I know the Son of Man had no place to lay his head. So, these problems <laughs> are, these are uh, uh, first world problems. Yeah. Zach is almost there. Yeah. I think these are minor. I'd rather have my kids, you know, come into my house than. Not speaking to me oh, for, yeah. you know. My 100%. So it's you weird. You got to feed them. I mean, you got you to bring the food there. You got to oh, pay yeah, for you it. Gotta you got to have a lot of good food. That's the, that's the key. But it's it's really great that our your daughter Layla and my daughter Mia are roommates at college. So that, that mm-hmm. worked out great. And are and both it's, doing wonderful things for the kingdom. So. And very that close friends. They are, they are very close friends. So um, I do want to take a minute just to say thanks to unashamed nation you guys we joke about being an award-winning podcast which we are but it's really your award because you're the ones that support us and listen yeah. um, support blaze and we appreciate that zach there's a somebody had asked me a question about we mentioned on here about the facebook group um who who exactly is that? Because folks yeah, have asked me exactly what to do, and I don't know. What yeah, because we talk about that. We ask a good, a good question. We talk about the unashamed group on Facebook quite a lot. So if you're interested, you, and they'll love these guys, man. There's so much good stuff going on over there. It's the unashamed group, our unashamed page on Facebook. The the admin's name is Steve Lewis. So you can kind of look through and see who the admin is. Um, his name is Steve Lewis, and there um, and then Tanya uh, Anderson as well. Um, but that's the one that we always talk about. I think there may be others out there. I'm not sure, but that's the one we typically talk about. And we, in co- we are in conversations with those guys quite a bit. Love what they're doing on there. It's turned out to be a really incredible community. Yeah. And you know, a lot of times when I have a question, kind of wanting to know, get the, the finger on the pulse of unashamed nation to see what you're thinking about stuff. Those mm-hmm. are the guys I usually reach out to, to ask questions. You know, what are you, what are you guys thinking out there in terms of what we're doing? Yeah. Uh, one more, you know, one more little plug here, uh, Layla and, uh, live original Sadie's group. They, uh, put out a new song. Um, so we'll put the link to that to Spotify or Apple or wherever in the show notes. And you guys can check that out as too. So 
lot, lot, lot of stuff going on right now. It's been been a fun season. Well, I was going to say, uh, just in that vein, to you listeners, the power, really the award goes to the Word of God because that's why people are drawn, you know, to us. I mean, it's the Spirit of the Lord in us. And, you know, if Hebrews 4.12 says the Word is living and active. And, you know, Hebrews is about that Jesus is superior, which, you know, we're in Luke, but that is the declaration. I mean, our last podcast, we talked about the good news of the kingdom and what that was and is, and it is that the Son of God came to earth. Yeah. I mean, and he came here because he loved us. And we talked about the cost of discipleship, um, which I love the second half of that verse. I just pulled it up when you said it. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Here's the painful part. Piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. So you want to know about the cost of discipleship, get ready to have your soul pierced by the word of God, dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Yeah, which goes into what we were talking about, because look, when he gets to 14 of chapter 4, right after that, he says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. And my, my point is, you know, a lot of people, they think, you know, being a disciple, we talked about this last time, which was it means to learn or follow, you know, from an educational standpoint, that seems easy enough. But being a disciple of Jesus is more than that because you learn it through experience of knowing that he came here to save and you're opening your heart, you're being humble, and you're basically denying yourself and have accepted him and then he sends you back out and then you point people to him. I mean, it's a discipleship that's hard to put into words. It's hard to put into a book. It's a, it's a person. And so when you think about him being the word of God, which he said in John one, you know, the logos, the logic of God, because most people want to, you know, they want to talk about the logic or the reasoning or have arguments about whether there is a God and, we're like, well, the logic of God is actually a person that you can be with because he, he loves us. So, you know, when I was in Wyoming, uh, one of the people I met, fantastic human being, does a lot for the environment and restoring, you know, the way the earth was. We had a lot in common, both hunters, and but he didn't believe in God. And so when the conversation went down that road, it got a little tricky because you know, he was kind of given the same arguments that you learn in our university about where the earth came from. And he's one of the smartest people I've ever been around. He knew more about stars. and But, you know, the question that always comes down in these kind of conversations is, where's the joy? Where's yeah, the peace? Where's the hope? It, it's the simple things that, we take for granted as followers of Jesus that produce that. So I went that route instead of, you know, coming up with the arguments against Mm -hmm. photosynthesis. And 
point I was going to make is the more you experience this, the more you get into the word, the more you realize this is a relationship and, and the opportunity that we have, you know, we're, we're kind of forced in a funny way to study the Bible, to get ready to have a conversation on a podcast, you know, where people listen, yeah. but just doing that really changes you. Uh, there was something that happened a, a couple of weeks ago that i, I I forgot to share, but now that we're, now that we're here, I, I think it's a funny story. So every year for the past, I'd say 30 years, when the British Open, what we used to call the British Open, not now I think they just call it the Open, uh, the golf tournament every year, the champion golfer of the world, you know, they do the four days. Well, every year for 30 years, I've gotten up at least one day. Usually it's all of them. I'll get up at 3 o'clock in the morning. Missy can't stand that I do this because I'm bumping around, you know. So what are you doing? I was like, I got to watch the open. It's a tradition. Well, this year, due to skip my schedule, the only day I had was Sunday, the final day. I didn't even know who was when. When I, I mean, I missed the first three days, but I also had to cram to study for our podcast, which was going to be on Monday. So I turned it on, got up extremely early, like four o'clock in the morning. And so there's this young guy who's winning the tournament, little little guy. I can't even think of his Weighed name. Weighed about 140 pounds. Hey, what was his name? Uh, Somebody will look it up. I'll look it up. Uh, he, and he won the tournament. But, but I had studied. You know, I started studying, and I had the volume down. So uh, – and he wound up winning, so I fulfilled my traditions. You know, that's the, the reason I'm telling you this story is what happened next. So that night when I went to bed, that Sunday night, I dreamed that I won the British Open. Whoa. And you say, well, why, what, why are you telling us this story? I mean, I hadn't played golf but three times in the last year. But what happened was it was all about because I could see it, you know, I played golf enough in the past to see when somebody gets in the zone. And so as I was playing, because a dream feels real. I was nervous in, in the dream. Like, I was winning. I kept looking at the scoreboard thinking, I mean, I'm fixed to be the open champion. Well, then all of a sudden, I kind of lost my swing. And... <laughs> <laughs> if it ever happens to me, just remember this. For me, that would be a nightmare, not yeah, a dream. It would. So I look, so I kinda lost my swing, you know. That's why I don't play in the open. That's yeah, why I don't play. Man's dream I made a man's nightmare. I made a double bogey. Well, That's quite a dream. And there was like four four holes to play. And I was sitting there thinking I was nervous. I mean, because it seemed so real to me. And I thought to myself, I was like, Quit trying to help the baller. I said, you're trying, because that's what I do when I normally play golf. I'm like, because <laughs> I try to help it. And that's always what I'm thinking. Just stay down and let it happen. And when I had that thought, I just striped it. And then I was like a robot. Well, then as I'm out there, I realize, you know what? This is the same thing with the Lord. When I try, you know, to help it and, and like base it on my performance, so then I, I got so excited because I thought this is about the Lord. This is this this I'm win he is allowing me to win this. I mean, I'm not even a professional golfer. I went over there and that was the backstory of the dream. I entered it and you know won all the way through the regionals and got there and then I won won the whole thing. 
And so when they interview, and look, by the way, my celebrations were nothing normal. I mean, I was just off the chart. When I hit the last putt, I just started walking it, you know, walking it in. We're not surprised. I, yeah, I just went off the chart. And so then when they, when they came to interview me, I said, look, the Lord did this. And I told about the swing thought I had. I was like, when I got out of the way, and so I just started preaching the gospel, and it, and it just grew. Every like the speech they do, and then the interviews, yeah. and then I thought it hit me after I woke up and realized this was a dream. This is what happens when you study the Bible for about six hours while you're watching the British <laughs> Open. Yeah. I wondered where it was coming from. Brian yeah. Harmon was yeah the winner. Brian Harmon. So congratulations! Well, congratulations on your victory, Jace. That is encouraging. You know, Champion golfer of up. the world. So Jace I, yeah. said that w when you opened the number one tee, did it have the little British guy that said? Now teeing off from West Monroe, Louisiana, Chase Robertson. Yep, that's what it, it – I, I went through the whole tournament. I tried to tell Missy the story, and she's like, baby, it didn't happen. I don't want to hear it. You didn't win the British <laughs> Open. I was like, you but I she, really did. I really won she treated, it. She treated your British Open experience just like your bathroom experience. Yeah, reality, reality came fast, quick and fast. But I just want you all to know I gave all the credit where it belonged. And I mean, I shook up Europe because it was crazy. You know, they're like, this guy, I mean, he's doing duck shows and, and he won it. Yeah. James Robertson. I can just so maybe it. we can That's have a, a psychiatrist on here and see, you know, what they think on why I had that dream and why I remembered it. Yeah. I love it. Let's take our first break. So I didn't realize that a lot of betting is made with harsh chemicals. Did you know that, Jace? Formaldehyde, synthetic pesticide, toxic dyes. Did you realize that's in a lot of bedding? No wonder I had trouble sleeping. Exactly. For a few years. Until we found Bowl and Branch. And they make the softest, most luxurious sheets with no toxins, no harsh chemicals, 100% organic cotton. Uh, so it's safe for you and your family. Uh, they're great sheets. Uh, we love them. Uh, I've been sleeping on them for years. I was even, Lisa and I were sleeping on Bowling Branch even before they were sponsors of our podcast. And they're really, really good. And they're the only sheets that get softer with every wash. Uh, they're made, as I said, highest quality organic cotton, loved by millions, uh, over 11,000 reviews, even four U.S. presidents, Dad, uh, love Bowling Branch, and so will you. So check them out. You get a 30-night worry-free guarantee with free shipping and returns on all U.S. orders. So you're not going to lose anything by trying, except you're going to love them. Sleep better at night with bowl and branch sheets. Get 15% off your first order when you use the promo code Robertson at bowlandbranch.com. That's bowlandbranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com. Use the promo code Robertson. Jace wins the open. Yeah. I love it. It's all I do. So many people to thank, but like our podcast, I'm going to thank the Lord because that's what I did. <laughs> yeah. And he allowed me it. to experience that. So people say, well, you know, I'm a Christian. Yeah. I can't do anything. Yeah. You can win the British open in your mind. <laughs> if you give the credit to where it belongs, I won that open and no one can take it away from me. Yeah. No, that's yours. That's yours. You put in six hours of Bible study to you win did. that open. You did. You did your part, Jace. 
That's right. Yeah. Well, I got out of the way. It's what's it's my point. I think it's it's a pretty valid point. I mean, yeah, Brian Harmon is from Savannah, Georgia, which is one of my favorite uh, cities in America. It's a cool place, and uh, he's thirty six, by the way. So I looked him up. But congratulations to him. He actually won the British Open. So. Yeah, but I won the one in the weird world of spiritual realms. Yeah. Was your competitor, was Willie in your foursome? Was you know, he, did he make... it was like a dream. You, it had all the sights and sounds of the, of the Open. Yeah. But, you know, I didn't know who I was playing with. My caddy, I, I don't know the face. It was just... It was the Lord, me, and and the Europeans. <laughs> ah, that's good. That's pretty good. Only Jace would have that story. All right, so we're in Luke chapter 10 uh, is where we left off last time. We, we finished up chapter 9, which was actually Jesus kind of gives this last bit about kind of what it's going to take because he's already said he's made it the turn now. Um, to use a golf phrase, and he's he's coming on the back nine. He's coming home now to Jerusalem. And so in that, he's preparing his disciples. And so something really interesting happens when you get to 10. Because remember, we were back in, what chapter was it? Chapter nine. 6 when he sent out the... No, that's not... No, well, I mean, where he sent out the 12. No, that was the first of chapter 9. Yeah. Okay, early in 9. That's yeah. right, that's right. Which I love because if this is a shadow, Al... This whole deal about you have to be specially sanctioned to be sent out to be the Lord's representatives goes by the wayside. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm serious. I don't know where we got this. That, that's what I've been so passionate about. If you can understand and believe who Jesus is, then it's going to be reciprocal. You, you are then going to declare it. It's not like you need to, you ought to, you should. So we did a thing in overtime where Paul said, I believe there are, Therefore, I have spoken, 2 Corinthians 4.13, which was a quote from Psalm 116, and it's the same principle. You know, the Lord yeah. healed me. I can't help but declare your praises in the presence of many. I mean, that's what it says over and over. The whole psalm's about that. So we are God's ambassadors, from the smartest to the dumbest, as far as from a worldly viewpoint, because we it doesn't matter. Jesus makes us all smart. I mean, he the king is here. So that that's where we're at. Well, and one of the reasons why he expands to now he's about to send out 70 or 72. It's both have been um, quoted in manuscripts, but he's about to expand beyond just the 12 into this much larger group to Jace's point. And what's interesting is one of the reasons why he needs a larger group is because this whole time that we've been studying, in the first part of Luke, he's been basically in the Galilee area. He's been in Capernaum, and he had been moving very far around. You know, he went across the lake, and he comes back. Well, now he's about to head toward Jerusalem, and so there's a lot of cities ahead of him, including Samaria, which we, we already talked about. And so they're going to go in and basically prepare the way for the king coming through. And so it's kind of a it's kind of the way I imagine it. It's yeah. like he's prep. They're prepping for him coming through by talking about the kingdom and talking about the message. They're going to be. Uh, they've got divine authority, so they're going to be healing. Uh, they're going to be, you know, casting out demons and those type things, which we'll get into. But they're the idea is is they're prepping the way 
for his march toward Jerusalem. So that's kind of the setting. Well, a lot of the scholars I noticed made a big deal of the number 72 because when you, the Greek translation of the Old Testament in Genesis 10, when all the nations were together, it was the table of nations. It was like represented by the 72. It was just the number they, I read, I thought that was interesting because I saw a lot of yeah. scholars who said that. And so maybe there was uh, some kind of shadow there because when you think about where he's going to get to post-resurrection, he's like, go into the whole world. Go preach the gospel to every nation. And so I do think this could be a shadow to that on what's going to be the results of him dying and being buried and raised. So I, I think so. I, I think there's a link there. I mean, we talked about this in a previous podcast. Um, even when Jesus went and cleared the temple, you know, he makes that reference. Like, um, what was that, Mark? Mark uh, basically says you you this is this was a house of worship for the nations that you turn it into a den of robbers. And so you do see this whole kind of unfolding with the coming of the kingdom. One of the key components of the coming of the kingdom is that this thing is opening up for everybody, which it really always was, even in the Old Testament, you know, it talked about that. But it's you're opening this up to everyone. And I think that goes also to the idea of of what you mentioned earlier it's it's not for a select group. Uh, Peter calls it, calls the us a priesthood of believers. So when you start make that transition in your mind to think, well, hold on a second, the kingdom is not made up of a professional clergy with a select group of people. It is actually we are all clergy. We are all priests. We are we are the priesthood of believers, and it's open to every group on 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 the face of the planet not just Jewish people, it's opening up to everybody. So you think about how this unfolds throughout Jesus's ministry, all that focus on the temple, which was the temple, the place where the God's presence was, and what he's ultimately going to accomplish is establishment of a new temple himself being the cornerstone of, and then us being a part of that temple, who is us, everybody, not everybody, not everybody but everyone who accepts Christ, everyone who's under his lordship, is part of the new temple and we house God himself. We house the Holy spirit, um, which is what qualifies you by the way, to go out. It's not you or your ability or your, your uh, biblical knowledge or your ability to articulate things or your charismatic personality. The only thing that qualifies you to be a priest in the kingdom of God is the blood of Jesus that covers you and sanctifies you. That's, that is, that's yeah. your qualification and that you have the Holy spirit in you. I think right. that's what he's setting up here. Yeah, which was Paul's point. The reason I read up that Second uh, Corinthians four thirteen, I believe. Therefore, I've spoken because then when he gets to chapter five, he's like, "We're therefore Christ's ambassadors, mm -hmm. as though God were making His appeal through us." But then he says, "Because God made Him who had no sin, you know, five twenty one says this, to be sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God." So he he shares. Just like what Jesus is pointing toward him going to Jerusalem, he's going to die. He's going to purify us. We know he didn't become sinful, but the penalties of sin was on him, and he took for us to the cross based on love so that we might become the righteousness of God, which is through his spirit and that purification process, we are then his ambassadors, which is the whole idea that he's 
beginning about the kingdom of God here. He's he's bringing them in, and he's going to send them out. And here in the early stages of it, it doesn't go real well. Because you see, you may go ahead and read it out. Yeah, yeah. Let's uh, let's take a break before you do. So it says in ten one. After this, the Lord appointed seventy two others and sent them out two by two ahead of him to every town place where he was about to go. He told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, Peace to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it will return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are not welcome, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. But when you enter town and are not welcome, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that sticks to our feet, we wipe off against you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God is near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for this town. And so we'll, we can read this next part later, but I'm going to skip down where it says... When the 72 returned in verse 17 with joy and said, even the demons, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And we'll get to the next part later, but I figure that be enough to talk about. And so what you see is, as, as Jay's described, it's a similar send out for the same one when he sent the 12, uh, similar instructions. And I think there, the reason why was the idea is that you're defended by God and you're provided, your dependence is going to be on God as well. So that was obviously the reasons we talked about before, and I think it's similar here that they're not supposed to be provisioned. Um, you know, you don't move around from house to house. And we talked about before this idea of Eastern hospitality. Once you go into that house, that's your, that's your place. That's where you do your work from. So there's a lot of cultural reasons why he tells them some of this stuff. But ultimately, when he sends them in, the idea is you're not dependent on yourself or your ability, but you're doing this because of your dependence on God. Yeah, it's a, and it's a also like a revisiting kind of this idea that we've been talking about at the end, about even in the kingdom, you know, you can you can take, we, we talk about this all the time, I think it's good. You can take the gifts of God. You can take the the benefits of the kingdom. You can take the, the blessings of the kingdom, and you can elevate those to a position where that's what you're putting your hope and trust and faith in and your joy in. I mean, how awesome would it be to be able to, I mean, you, you got the kind of power in you that serpents and scorpions can bite you and you won't even get, we talk about you know, going up to Wisconsin, Jason, you can see the, the rattlesnakes, not having to worry about getting bit by one. That's power, right? You, you have power over demons and all, and, and they're talking about this with Jesus. And he's like, yeah, that's pretty awesome stuff, but don't rejoice in this. Don't rejoice that the spirits are subject to you. 
again, reemphasizing, rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. It's a reestablishment of of the true kingdom. It's it's not about power. It's not about what like the it's not it's not all the things you can get from the kingdom. It's it's the fact that you get to be in eternity with the king himself. You get to live and dwell in the presence of God. And I think that's even for these 70 that are going out, um, you know, that's even, even for them that are with Jesus. I mean, like, like it's, it's like this temptations in all of us, right? We want to focus on, Jace talks about all the time, you want to focus on the miracle as opposed to the miracle giver. Well, you yeah, said Wisconsin, same, but, but it's actually a little west of there. Yeah, it was wild. What did I say? You said Wisconsin? Wisconsin, but I love Wisconsin. And uh, I really, yeah, love, I really love yeah. the more rattlesnakes west of there. I, I actually right. did you're not. Right, Phil. I actually I did not corrected. know uh, that Wyoming had so many rattlesnakes. I figured it was so far north, like it'd be that, too cold. And I actually thought about this verse when he said, "I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions," which I do not have. But I didn't want to put the Lord to the test. But I was on a little place called Rattlesnake Ridge. <laughs> and then while I was there, you remember our old uh, cameraman that I've been praying for? Yeah. He sent me a picture. He got bit by a brown recluse. I would share bad. the picture, but it's so graphic because my response was, are you going to get to keep those fingers? Hmm. Because it was one of the most. The... Yeah, it was it was terrible. In Wyoming. No, while I was in Wyoming, he sent me a picture uh, he's he's in I think he's in Arkansas, but he had just gotten bitten. But it he was in bed for twelve days. Sick. Oh, gosh. Mac yeah. Hobbs, my cousin, first cousin, showed me the the result of he got bitten in the middle of the back by a brown recluse, but it it ate out a hole. Yeah, that was a hole in his finger. But what I was gonna say, Al, in this passage, which I know there's a lot to get to, and the reason I skipped that one section. Uh, I did it on purpose because if you just look at what is happening here, which we've spent the last podcast setting up what's fixed to happen, him sending this yep. out, they're there to declare that the king is here. They also have the ability to drive out evil spirits because they said even the demons submit to us, and he gave them the power to heal diseases. Well, when you think about just those three things that they were supposed to do, because they're a common three things that he keeps doing and giving them the ability to do. So yep. if Jesus is the king and he has the power over evil and over sin, sin or slash evil or the demonic cosmic world, any of those categories, and he can heal any kind of physical Ailment, including raising people from the dead. Yeah. Well, if all these things are true, this is the ultimate history defining and changing moment yeah. of the world from beginning to end. Because if someone came to this earth with that ability, well, there, there's your answer to your problem. This we have stumbled up on as earthlings humans, the defining moment of human existence. And it came free of charge. Yeah. Out of love. Yeah. Which is interesting, Dave, because the, the 
the people here involved in the section you read, they took demons submitting to them as the ultimate. It's like, okay, we we got it. Like, there's yeah. nothing we can't do because even demons will do what we tell them to do, that we can cast out demons. And it was interesting because Jesus comes back and says, yeah, but that's not why we did it, <laughs> well, which is right. really interesting, you know? Well, well, right. And I do think like a subplot to those three things is what you said, because I don't know if y'all noticed this, but so when they said they were filled with joy, because I mean, the Bible doesn't, I don't believe in accidents. So in verse 17, when they return with joy and right. said, well, then Jesus does his reply and watch what 21 says, because he rebuked them. He said, don't rejoice because yep. the spirit submit to you. Rejoice because your name's written in heaven, which we'll talk about. So 21 says at that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit said, I praise you, Father of heaven and earth because you've hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. So it's really his joy versus their joy or our joy. Yep, correct. They were, he didn't like where their joy was coming from because it was coming at, oh, look at, look at us. And we already have seen the clues of this coming up. It's a place of pride, which was his point. He saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Why did Satan fall? Because he had a yeah, he had a wrong kind of joy in his position. You know, when you make that in with Ezekiel, you see it. And we just read the part about the argument over who was the great. Who they're sitting around talking about who's going to be the greatest and talking about how they're going to distribute fireballs on unbelievers. It, it's a prideful, selfish view of who Jesus is. And look, Luke's going to do this over and over again. You know, when you get to Luke 15, I know the prodigal son, the one in the pig pen gets all the press, but the one at the house was just as selfish. He wanted the stuff too. He just did it from a self-righteous view yep. instead of a, you know, self-rebellion. And actually, 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 Jace, uh, let's take another break. All three parables were written to the mindset of the older brother, to your point. Because yep. it started out with, why are you eating with sinners? And, and that was the problem with the older brother. So really, all three parables, we focus more on the loss, but it was really for the one who was not joyful about the loss. <laughs> so, I mean, it shows you that point all the way through. Well, just to highlight the point that I was making about this was a history-defining moment. The king is here. Uh, you know, just for fun, if you want to do this, and I researched this because I didn't want to recommend a movie and it, you know, be rated R or whatever. But I remember seeing a movie, and so I made Missy watch it with me again. But we found a TV version of it, so it took out all the cuss words and all. So it was, I don't know if you've ever seen this movie. It's called Elysium. It's got Matt Damon in it. It was in a, it's a sci-fi movie. I think it come out. I saw like previews, but I never watched it. Okay. Yeah. Oh, oh, you're not gonna believe this. So, which, so, just to be clear, do not go rent this movie unless you're watching the TV version. And look, whatever, wherever she found it, every five minutes they would run a commercial, and it was the same commercial, the entire movie. 
So it was very, it was some weird form of tor- torture because it was something to do with weight loss. <laughs> It's a terrible commercial, and you had to watch it. Jason, I don't watch shows like that. Well, it, this was the commercial. The commercial was horrible. Our commercials. Well, I had to pay the price to get a clean version of the movie because I didn't want to watch a bunch of cuss words and all that. But the reason I'm talking about this movie is because if you want to know how Hollywood tried, and they tried it in this movie, to depict what we've been studying up until the first 10 chapters, this is it. Yep. And I'll just give you the gist of it, because it's been out 10 years. So if you hadn't seen it, consider yourself spoiled. This this will be a spoiler <laughs> alert. So look, it starts off, it's like the world was overpopulated and, and disease was running rampant. Oh, I have seen this movie. Oh, yeah. And so they now show- I know what you're talking look, about. It's yeah. all slum, and, it's, and the epic center the, is Los Angeles, and there's just people, and of course, they, and what are, you, what are they doing in the streets? All kind of evil behavior and robbing and looting. It's just terrible. And so, and what's happened is all the rich people built this colony through tech, you know, technical geniuses that you can see. It looks like the moon, and it's called Elysium. Now up there, it's everyone is dressed nice, and so they it's have quiet. Yeah, they got the good food up there, and so they have. You, a, you don't need Jesus. We got this. They they tech technology figured oh, yeah. out a way, and look, they figured out a way to heal all your diseases, and by healing all your diseases and giving you everything that you want and looking the right part, that cut down, that ruled out all the crime and all you know. So they had it all figured out in their mind. So. The whole movie is about Matt Damon. They got this data out of somebody's head who is one of the guys from Elysium. And so it looked the worst part of the movie because Missy had to get up and leave. They do brain surgery on Matt Damon because he only had five days to live. And they put all this data from this guy's head into his head. And look, it was a reboot to the Elysium home base now look catch this that if they they said we if we figure out a way to make this available for all humans because so let's say you have a person that's sick on earth and you take them to elysium which is what they were trying to do when they got to the bays that would cure you they cure you of any disease if your name wasn't in the register that it wouldn't it wouldn't do it and so he eventually goes up there, figures out a way to get there, you know, all that part. And then, but he had to sacrifice his life to get the reboot, you know. And his girlfriend's daughter, who had cancer, who was dying, she's on the bed. And once he died, the reboot happened, and her name appeared in the registry. And that little, th- she went through, it and she was she was cured. And I I watched that thought. Where'd they get this idea? Yep. <laughs> I mean, you got to have your name written if you're if you're in because because I really think it's a powerful point it, that Jesus was saying because back then in this culture they didn't have printing presses and all that and cell phone so towns there was a registry and if your name was there you were imported if it wasn't guess what you're out. And so that's why I think Jesus used this analogy is because he came down here for everyone. 
and he says, present tense, your names are written in heaven. He went past tense saying, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And then the part we skipped, he said, if they had had the same kind of sermon y'all had, they would have repented a long time ago. So here you have a being, Jesus, who was the same yesterday, all the way back to when Satan fell. He knows whether your name is written in heaven, and he knows what would have happened if something that didn't happen would have happened. He, it, so you see that verse, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So my speech is, Jesus is better than Elysium, which is a made-up story about how technology is going to miraculously all your diseases, you know, and all. So go watch. Which is funny because Elysium sounds like it's some kind of pharma drug for, you know, psoriasis or something. But it's, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Well, it was I just mean, fascinating. These... You know I mean? That I thought, yeah. here's all the world's problems. How can we solve it? And they're banking on technology. They're just looking in the wrong place. But even with technology, look, they still had to have a sacrifice. They had, it's like, because love had to be there. And I thought, even though they tried to debunk everything that God created, uh, there had to be a reason to watch the movie. And, and that was it. Because he loved humanity, he was willing to give his life up. And but I what's thought, funny is, but Jace, here's what's funny about your perspective uh, on the movie. Let's take a break. So your perspective of the movie was through a spiritual lens, and and that's why you saw this text there. But I can guarantee you, probably the makers of this movie, and Damon was probably a producer or something, was that it was about elitism, how that, you know, exactly. people people who are poor don't have the same opportunities, and there's systemic, you know, things against people. And it was more of a political statement in their minds and probably never even realizing the spiritual implication of the film. They had taken time to, to look up Jesus. That would have been a lot better off. Well, that's what I'm saying. I, 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 that's why I was bringing this movie up, because I think it was done to, pro, to promote a liberal agenda. Well, but right. even in that, it, it gets back to the point, the same point we've been making about religious people who say, well, you shouldn't go out there and share Jesus, you know, because I, I run up on a lot of people that say that they're, they're just like, it's, it's about us. You, you go meet, do your church thing there, but don't, don't cause any, any ripples out in the world. Well, that's contrary to everything that this is saying. Yeah. I mean, it, it just is. Everyone has a particular thing that they're promoting. So if people come to you and say you shouldn't promote Jesus, well that's that's your you're you're doing the very same thing that you're telling me. Everyone has some take on life or yep. and that's why we, through conversation, no matter where you go with it, I mean I just met at least 100 people that I'd never met before and all the conversations miraculously got into the same things we're talking about. And you say, what? Because I was sitting there. I'm like, I'm going to move that conversation into things that matter. And eventually we're going to rest on who do you think Jesus is? And then they say, well, I don't think you should do that. And I had a couple of those people. And I'm like, well, that's your take. But if we're all in your camp, we're just all screwed. 
which is a very true statement. And they're like, yep, yep, we are. So you better just go enjoy life while you got it because you ain't here long. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's good. And I thought about, you know, you were saying, even if you go back to the beginning of this, there's so many like timeless truths that are represented in this text. One is the idea about sending them out two by two. I mean, that seems like a simple thing. Like, you know, that's just the way they did it. But if you think about it, it's really the way we should always function. You always need someone there, both for accountability, for support. I mean, Jesus is showing that he showed up when he sent out the 12 and he shows it with this larger group. And uh, I was, I was, when I read about this, when I read this in the text, it made me think about someone in the Marine Corps telling me that, you know, when they were in training, when you dug a foxhole, you always dug it big enough for two Marines to be in that foxhole. And the reason why is the Marine Corps knows in, when you're in battle, you, you, you need somebody with you. The worst thing you want to do is find yourself by yourself, you know, for a lot of different reasons. And I, and I think there's a spiritual truth to that even for us. I've told the story before on the podcast, but only one time in all my mission travels that I go by myself and I got into a bunch of trouble and was facing things that were difficult and I needed somebody else there. So, I mean, these are just truths that make mission life, everything yeah. we're doing kingdom life, you know, that's exactly what we should be doing. So it's just another one of those little things that it really is a great big thing. It's a great point. Um, Associated press, put out a, on May 2nd of this year, I thought this is interesting. I just read this uh, this week. Loneliness poses, this is from the surgeon general poses risk as deadly as smoking, according to the Surgeon General. And he, I mean, he went on, this report goes on to just talk about the effects of being alone and being by yourself. And so I, I think you're right. I mean, even even our Surgeon General, not from a spiritual perspective, just looking at the effects of loneliness and being isolated, being by yourself. And it's like, uh, it, it's it, that's not how God designed us. You think about in, in uh, Genesis, in the Genesis account of creation, when God makes everything, he makes animals. And what does it say? It was good. He made uh, mankind, made everything and it was good. And and when Adam was in a state of perfection in the garden, when all that existed was the garden that God had created the earth and everything that Adam in that in direct relationship with him, he did say this one thing that's provocative. He said, it, it is not good that man should be alone. So even in a, like a direct relationship with God that Adam was in, God still recognized that we're made in his image. And, and he looked down at this creation and he said, after everything was made, except except for woman, he said, it's not good that man should be alone. And then when he made woman for man as a companion and, and this com, this uh, complementarian relationship between the two, he came back and said it is after he, after he, after he assessed that, he said it, it's very good. And that's the only time he said that in creation. So I think even in this, the DNA, no pun intended, the DNA of our structure, of our makeup, because we, we reflect who God is, we are relational beings. And you see it right here, too, that God wants a companionship for us um, in really all as, aspects of life. Yeah, and you, could, and you could apply that both to the good and the bad. I mean, they were full of joy when they came back. But, you know, what if you don't have somebody to share joy with? It's mm -hmm. not nearly as good. And it's the same thing with accountability for pride. You need a person. I mean, how many of us, the four of us all know our wives help keep us in check because oh, gosh, yeah. they remind us, you know, when we're we're being too prideful, we're going too far. You know, that's that's why you need to. Well, I think, too, he made the point about being like children. And, and in this context, it was like 
he gives, he reveals the answer why he made that, you know, in verse 22, because he says, he contrasts that, um, no, it's in verse uh, 21, with being wise and learned. And then, and then he also, you know, when he first sent them out, he's like, don't take a purse or bag or sandals or money or, well, I'm sure that was scary because it took a lot of courage, but it was this idea of you depend on me for the, and that's what, you know, kids do better than anybody else. I mean, they're, no matter what you do, they're wanting to hold your hand when they're kids because to them, this is where my security is. But when we get old enough to think we've got it all figured out, it's very hard for us to be dependent on the Lord and surrender to him. That That is where the pride comes from. So those are kind of the underlying principles of what he was trying to train them and grow them up to be. No, and I think that's it. I think you're exactly right, which is why he brought up the idea of children and then a father you know, he, he brings his father into it. And so uh, we're almost out of time, but in overtime, I want to talk about that a little bit more because it's really interesting that Jesus brings in for the first time in all of human history, this concept of the God relationship being a father and a son. And, and, and why is that? You know, why does he do that? And I think it's, this text gives us a little clue to that as well. So we're out of time. Uh, on unashamed, but we come back on our overtime. We're going to talk about that as well as a few other elements of this idea of the sending out of these seventy or seventy-two, uh, and what that meant both in the in the moment then, but also what it means to us today as well. So, if you want to follow us uh, into our overtime segment, it's blazetv.com slash unashamed is where we'll be. Uh, not only do you get um, our overtime for this podcast, but then you also get everything that Blaze has to offer, uh, all of their shows, all of their folks. So we'd like for you to check them out, blazetv.com slash unashamed. Thanks for listening to the Unashamed Podcast. Help us out by rating us on iTunes. And don't miss an episode by subscribing on YouTube, and be sure to click that little bell to get notified about new episodes. And for even more content that you won't get anywhere else, Subscribe to Blaze TV at blazetv.com slash unashamed.